Welcome to the Girl at the Game podcast, the sports podcast by women for everyone in partnership with CLNS Media. As always, we're your host, Gabrielle, founder of Girl at the Game and Al of Nesson, and we are doing a full episode with a very special guest today, Adrian Lawrence, who is one of the most qualified, probably the most qualified person we've ever had on this show because she has, as of today, two master's degrees and a JD. She is a lawyer. She is someone I have looked up to for a really long time. She just wrote a book and we are just so happy to have her here. So Adrian, thank you so much for being our guest. This is such a treat. Thank you guys for having me. So I want to start off because we talked about this earlier in the week and this is why I thought it would be a good time for you to come on and be our guest is that you were tweeting about the ESPN article that dropped in the New York Times about racism happening at ESPN. And we talked about it a tiny bit, but I was like, you know what, I would rather save this for this conversation. What are your thoughts? Just go off. Well, as a former ESPN employee, having spent the two years I did there and then ending up becoming the first on-air personality to sue them for sexual harassment, I've seen a lot of things at the network in terms of its culture. And so that New York Times article about racism, uh, it's not shocking at all. As I know, having written a book on sexual harassment, it's that racism and sexism very much aligned. They are ride or dies. They love to hang out together. So from my experiences in seeing the sexism and sexual harassment that went on there, especially that that was perpetrated against Black women, it really does not shock me that there's also racism, which against Black women is largely massage noir, uh, that intersection of racism and sexism. And hey, it's not a shocker. For those of our guests that don't know, things obviously did not end really pretty between you and ESPN. I'm wondering if on that note, going off what a lot of that New York Times article had to say, just like the personal stories either you would experience or that you would just hear around from other women, kind of. What was that like? Well, I don't really talk about specifics so much about ESPN as far as other people's experiences go, because hey, I already did that in my complaint and I did it for reasons that would end up protecting those people and giving them leverage. But I can tell you from the things that I witnessed and experienced that Again, sexual harassment and racism are ride or dies. It's all about oppression and power and holding people down. And that's exactly what racism is. And that's what sexism is. So, you know, it's kind of these insecure people in positions of power wanting to maintain their power. So they use those tools to subjugate you. And unfortunately, the individuals that they love keeping down the most are those who suffer the most, which would be those who are Black and women uh, being the lowest on the totem pole for race and gender. And so seeing those things play out, you know, it's every day. And as far as my experiences go, you know, it's just a matter of being treated like a second class citizen, a subordinate, people being rude, doing undermining things. Like we just saw the story coming out with Rachel Nichols and having a coworker record your audio while she was in her hotel room because she had just streamed for the show that she does. Uh, those kind of undermining behaviors. And it's unfortunate, but that is from at least my experience, was very much the culture there. And 
it shouldn't be that way. No, absolutely not. And it's so brave of you to speak out, but it's insane to me that these things are still happening and that it happens and we talk about it for a while. And then the way that social media is, you kind of just hit refresh on your Twitter timeline and all of a sudden the problem's still there, but you're not seeing it. It's not being talked about. And we're seeing that with a lot of these issues of racism, sexism, anti-Semitism. It's clearly very prevalent, but the news cycle, it fades away. But you are somebody that continues to talk about these things. How do you feel about the fact that these things just seem to kind of fade away without the problem actually being solved, or at least partially seeming like it's being worked towards a solution? It's interesting because we've had activists in the past and people who've spoken out, and some people get exhausted and they go away, and some people make it their life's work. As um, James Baldwin had brought up, the fact that you cannot fix things unless you face them. And the reality is, is that you have these large institutions, these big media companies, these outlets that are primarily white and primarily male and heterosexual and cis, and they very much are not addressing and recognizing that they have an issue. And honestly, it just seems very much the status quo. And fortunately, we do have this uprising now that is pushing for change. But also, too, you'll notice that there are sectors where people are just so focused on protecting their own pocket and their own purse and making sure that they're okay that they don't speak up and they don't say anything. And it's foolishness because part of me, well, I fully recognize the fact that if it happens to your neighbor, it's going to happen to you. So you can either stand up when it happens to your neighbor and insist on change, or you can sit there and be quiet thinking you're protecting yourself. But as we know, your silence will not protect you. One thing I think was really interesting about the whole New York Times article was that you see these women like Carrie Champion and Maria Taylor, and they're all so brilliant that ESPN's kind of pushing on camera in recent years and giving them this platform. But then behind the scenes where the viewers and streamers, people that are taking in ESPN content, you don't see those people and the trajectory of their careers and the people making all these decisions. Do you think it's maybe the competitiveness at ESPN and kind of the aura that it has in sports media that people have been in the past more willing to kind of just deal with it? I don't know. Oh, I think they've always been willing to deal with it because there's this mentality, you're lucky to be here. Because you, we have to remember, media is over 70% white and, and male. It is more white and male than any profession in pretty much the country. And as a result of that, the fact that you are diverse, being Black and female, they continue to perpetuate this whole, you're lucky to be here, when the reality is that, no, you're lucky to have me. And each one of us is valuable. And unfortunately, they continue to perpetuate that idea that there can only be so few of you. And they create this scarcity mindset and build a culture off of that so that everyone is looking to protect themselves. And the thought of you being taken out or going down, it brings a number of these people joy, unfortunately, because they, they create, it's just, it's really gross and it's unfortunate. And the sad part is it seems like people are willing to push back or to speak out, but only after they've left. And that unfortunately does not help the people that are there. And unfortunately, it's gonna to continue to be cyclical. Now, I know that this is absolutely something you've dealt with your whole life, but I got to imagine it still must have been so disheartening when you were at ESPN 
And before working there, like you said, like you kind of get that sense of feeling fortunate to have a job in sports media when you're such a minority. But when you first started dealing with sexual harassment and racism there, just like the emo- like emotionally for you, so qualified, deserve to be there to still be dealing with this. Was it like, I don't know if you had always dreamed of working at ESPN and doing legal commentary there, or if it was like killing all your hopes and dreams to be dealing with this there, or just personally what it was like for you on a, at a mental standpoint. Well, I had come to ESPN as a professional. I had about eight years of practicing law under my belt at major law firms. I've argued for the oldest, highest court in the nation. Like, I lived, owned several homes. I, I've full-fledged, like, everything under my belt. I was good to go. So making that career transition and ending up at ESPN straight from a law firm, it was one of those, oh, okay, this is cool. Uh, but at the same time, too... I didn't forget my worth. I didn't forget my value. I did my best to navigate this new terrain. And it was just extremely interesting to run into the mentality of this is just how it is. Because I may live in this bubble of a world, but no, this isn't how it is as far as I'm concerned. And no, I will not be treated that way. That is unacceptable. And you can call me bougie, you can call me whatever you want, but you are not going to sexually harass me and mistreat me and then tell me to get used to it and also take away my job. You don't mess with my money. And I just feel so bad because there just seems to be too many individuals out there that are willing to let themselves get kicked in the teeth and mistreated all in the name of a job. Life is too short. It just is. Yeah, absolutely. Knowing what you went through and what other women have gone through at ESPN and other sports media outlets and media outlets in general, it just seems like, you know, they want to have women front and center so that they can say, we have women and they want to prop you guys up and obviously benefit off your talent because it's not like you're just there as token women. You're there because you like there's a reason you're there. But at the same time, they don't want to let you get too popular, too powerful. So behind the scenes, every inch they give you publicly, they have to take, they have to kind of sit you back down a little bit further every single time to remind you that like, they gave you this job, they can take it away. They're the powerful ones, not you. And it's so upsetting because being a young woman in sports and aspiring to do all of these things and having considered working for ESPN in the the past and doing work with ESPN in the past, like, it's just it's it means so much to see a woman represent you in the field that you aspire to succeed in and then to find out that this is what it's actually like for them and to know that the people you admire are enduring these things i mean there's no other way to say it it just sucks like it's terrible and it bothers me that a lot of people just don't seem to care and they say well this is how it is but this isn't how it should be and saying it is how it is is not an excuse uh-uh, exactly. And it's just unfortunate because everyone is looking to protect themselves, protect what they have. And I get it, but I don't subscribe to it. I'm I don't just, either. I'm not a fan. One of the things that like I've appreciated so much, especially lately from you, is the fact that you're outspoken about things that matter. And that includes anti-Semitism, because one of the things that I've been dealing with a lot online is the fact that Al and I both, I mean, we both have been trying our best to be allies for Black Lives Matter. and super outspoken in support of that. 
But then the second I start talking about anti-Semitism as a Jewish person who's been affected by that, people are like, well, then you must be racist. Or they say, you can't be pro-BLM and be against anti-Semitism. There's just so much disconnect between these two things. And the same way you were talking about like how racism and sexism go hand in hand, racism and anti-Semitism go hand in hand. And I'm wondering as a black woman, like how you feel about that, especially given kind of the shit storm that's been going on with Nick Cannon and then Dwayne Wade and the NFL stuff and like all of this. And apparently Diddy spoke out in support of Cannon. And I'm, I'm just like reading the replies to these tweets sorry, this is like such a long winded way of asking this, but like people are saying, well, it doesn't matter what they say because they're not educated about the topic. And I'm like, but it does matter because you look at their giant platforms. You look at the way that people reply to them first when they say these things. And then when they ultimately issue some kind of apology and it does matter that they're saying these things because people are believing them and then they're perpetuating these inaccuracies. And I'm just curious what your perspective is on all of this. It's just crazy to me how people don't realize if you're against racism, you should also be against anti-Semitism. That seems very straightforward. And yet, apparently, it's like a novel idea and a really hot take. <laughs> I definitely can tell you. I don't, it, it's so interesting to me because I feel like I was late to the game in calling out the anti-Semitism after the gentleman, uh, the former NBA, NBA player who is friends with George Floyd, uh, after he made an anti-Semitic remark, in part because... I thought we were all not doing this anymore. Like, I, I, I thought we were, not that we were beyond it, like, give, give me a break. Anti-Semitism happens. I get that. But I'm just like, how is this all of a sudden, after we're having, when we're in the midst of this Black Lives Matter movement, how is it that we have these prominent Black people now attacking the Jewish community? That was, and is, is so incredibly disgusting to me. I, I, it shocks me. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, just, that's why I feel like I was late to the party because I was like, wait, this well, so, be. so was I. Like, I was like, wait, so we, we've been doing this. Like, like Al and I were talking about how amazing Steven Jackson was for taking care of Gianna Floyd. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, so they're out here talking about Hitler as if Hitler's a good person. Like, what am I missing? Exactly. That's why I was, it was, it was mind blowing to me. This thought of, are we real? Are you, are we really doing this? Like, to come from the black community. And I understand that uh, now I understand, I guess that it's more prevalent of this idea of those horrible anti-Semitic tropes and ideologies that are actually ingrained in some black people that have been carried over and passed through time. And part of me, oh, I guess all of me is just, I am mystified that people haven't realized and seen the fact that, you know, those things that they do to you, well, why are you perpetuating that against somebody else? Like, it makes right. no sense to me. And also, gosh, it was something I was going to bring up um, that I can't quite put my finger on in this moment. But it is, it's incredibly shocking. And we see it happen oftentimes where people who are oppressed in one way all of a sudden oppress other people in that same way. And I yeah. also think it's so incredibly disappointing because I know that my Jewish brothers and sisters are only, what, 2% of the population. So. I'm like, we were a lot more before that Hitler guy showed up. Exactly. And I was, so I'm like, <laughs> wait, how are you, how are And Hitler how hated are, black people too. Oh, exactly. It's like, how are black people now punching down essentially? I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this is such a small segment of the globe that we know has been oppressed and continues to be oppressed 
and we are just fighting this movement now to end oppression. So how is the Black community now hating in this way? And so it's just so important that those of us who are educated, informed, or maybe just fully anti-hate, stand up and say something. This isn't okay. That's I mean, I first of all, like you started off by saying that you feel like you're late to the game. And to that, as a Jewish person, I'll say like, honestly, it's better to be late to the game than to not show up at all, first of all. I and agree. I'm appreciative. And I that's the thing I think that a lot of people feel is holding them back is feeling like either they're late to the game, so they might as well just not say anything and stay silent, which is never the right move. We need your voices. Like you said, we're a small people. But it's also the thing that's so crazy to me is there's all of this educational stuff that's been going on on social media to be like, okay, so if a black person tells you that something is racist, you don't get to tell them it's not racist. And what I'm seeing so much online now is like Jewish people speaking out about anti-Semitic comments by like Nick Cannon and Deshaun Jackson, for example. And then people telling them, people who aren't Jewish telling them it's not anti-Semitic. And it's like, you don't get to tell us that something's not anti-Semitic, especially when it is blatantly anti-Semitic. He's quoting Hitler. He's calling Jewish people savages. He's making references to the Rothschild. And I was explaining to Al, because like you said, there's like these ingrained anti-Semitic tropes. And the one that's that we're hearing a lot, which has been around for like literally thousands of years, the whole thing about Jews controlling the banks, the Rothschilds, etc. The way that that originated was because Jews were considered second class citizens and they weren't allowed to hold certain kinds of jobs. Yes, that's correct. So they were only allowed to have certain kinds of jobs and they revolved around money. Like, for example, Jewish people could be usurers. But then when they would go to collect, as in doing the job, that was the only job that they could do to support their family. They would be met with attacks of anti-Semitism. Like if a Jewish person tried to collect the debt that was owed to them as a money lender, as a way to not pay them, they would just attack them or kill them or exile them or whatever. And so they forced Jewish people to be in these jobs and then shame them for these jobs. And so when people talk about like the Rothschilds, you're like, this is first of all incorrect. And second of all, this is a box that you put us in. That's correct. And it's interesting because it's the same thing, very similar in law, because being a transactional attorney was reserved for, um, you know, Anglo, white Saxon males. uh, And but being a litigator actually fighting in court that because they were they were essentially boxing out Jews from the profession. And so Jews yeah. got into litigation for that reason. And so then now, you know, you'll hear those unfortunate comments uh, that are anti-Semitic about Jewish lawyers. And it's like, that's the box you put them in. And just because my mom is a Jewish lawyer. Well, yeah, it's like, and it just bothers me so much that members of the black community can't see this when they've been suffering from it as well, you know, from the oppression. Our society with nothing to do, I think, is just so hyper-focused on every little thing that it's like, you, two things can happen at once. Yeah. They don't need to be exclusive of each other. Like, we have the brain capacity to talk about both things at the same time. Yeah, and, and to uplift issues. And, you know, and I understand right now we're supposed to be largely focusing on Black lives, but at the same time, that doesn't give members of the black community an excuse to go ahead and start engaging in anti-Semitism, like get out of here. What are the, we're supposed to be asking for people to grow, to learn, to embrace, 
And yet at the same time now, we're trying to box people in with these ignorant mentalities. And, and also too, when I say I felt late to the game, it's because I didn't respond. I didn't say anything when Jackson engaged on his Hitler nonsense because I was seeing it as a one-off as in we're not, it's not a problem. But then seeing almost this, not even a trickle effect, but these other people now, and that's what makes me feel like, wow, I should, maybe I should have stood up sooner because I didn't realize so many people still subscribe to that mentality. I can also appreciate that where you just were like, all right, I'm not going to throw fuel on this fire right now exactly. because let's take a step back and like see how this transpires and plays out. It probably also gave you time to like educate yourself, think about how you wanted to say something. And like, I respect the hell out of that because I think people too are just so quick to like have a comment and jump on things when if we would just take the time to listen more than feel like we had to have a thought and a stance on everything immediately right away like that's how misinformation gets spread that's Mm -hmm. how people like take a stand too soon and then realize oh wait maybe I don't feel like this about it but now can I publicly apologize for that or say you know what I've grown or I've learned this since yeah what do you guys feel about because I don't know how well I don't know how I feel about it because I hate to be a skeptic But, um, like, so I guess because Nick Cannon issued that little apology last night, and so now he gets to keep his show on Fox. Does he really? Yeah, he gets to keep the Fox one. And I'm just like, and and that, it almost makes me, hearing that makes me think, well, I damn sure don't think I believe you now. You might have been able to protect that last contract that you needed, so you said what you needed. And also, too, at this age, part of me is like, can you just flip the switch that quickly? (laughs) Like, in terms of divesting yourself of your ignorance come on I don't know son I tweeted out a screenshot of his apology last night from Instagram Mm -hmm. from his Instagram stories and I'm the kind of person like because I've said the wrong thing before and I and one of the things that I've always been scared of and I've talked to you about this I was like I'm worried I'm gonna say the wrong thing and I think that one of the most important things right now is you might say the wrong thing but how you respond when people tell you you said the wrong thing and what you say next to show that you've learned from like that mistake is what matters because going around worrying that you have to be perfect all the time and that fear being something that keeps you silent as opposed to trying to at least help is like a problem that a lot of people have because we're so worried about being canceled all the time. And so when I tweeted out his his apology, I was like, hopefully he really takes the next step and he learns from this and he actually does the work because the thing is if the apology is empty it makes the whole situation worse Absolutely. but you can't there has to be a period of seeing if he actually does the work like he can't just apologize and all of a sudden he's cured and he's not anti-semitic anymore mm-hmm. so like yes i was wary and i didn't forgive him right away but i was willing to give him the chance to prove that he could change and all these people are like he only said it to save his job blah 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 and I was like, yeah, maybe he did, but we're not going to know that right away because this is only the first step. But I am concerned because his situation was different from Deshaun Jackson. And this goes back to what you were saying about not wanting to jump in right away, because the thing is, Deshaun Jackson made a really dumb, bad comment. Absolutely. And, and it also seemed like it, one of those dumb, bad comments that everybody should have known was dumb. So I just figured, right. hey, OK. Uh, that's and that's what really Kareem said, there. too. Like, I didn't want to make it about anti-Semitism during an important time for Black Lives Matter because it seemed dumb. So I waited. 
It was so and egregious I, that it's like, did this dude get hacked? Someone hacked. Him. Someone hacked. Him, exactly. Right? Like, but then, like, when Stephen Jackson got involved, I was like, oh my god, wait, no, like now we have to talk about this because this is a distraction, and Jewish people should just be supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. Abraham Joshua Heschel freaking marched with Martin Luther King. They were friends for years. Like they supported each other. They understood like yes. all these people on Twitter, are like Jewish people have never supported black people. Are you like, out of like, your mind? Like, what? Yeah, exactly. Like you clearly don't know history. First of all, well Google is all. free. And that's <laughs> the problem go. is people don't know history and they have, everyone has a platform, you know? And mm-hmm. my favorite thing that I've been hearing this week is that because I'm, I look white. Okay. I'm not actually Jewish. It went from you're white and Jewish, so you don't understand the plight of black people, which I don't, I'm not black, so I don't understand what it's like to be black. But it went from that, from that accusation to <laughs> you're not even a real Jew because you're white. And I'm like, okay, but this just shows how uneducated people are and how problematic it is when someone with a large platform like Nick Cannon says these things because Jewish people originated in the Middle East, and then they were exiled from their own homeland, scattered around the earth to endure anti-Semitism in other countries. And that's why you have Jews in America who are what I guess you would say are white passing, quote unquote, Caucasian. You have Tunisian Jews, Asian Jews, you have European Jews, you have Israelis. And guess what? We all look different. Like I went to school with black Jewish people. And no one thought that they were Jewish. But guess what? I'm blonde and blue eyed. So people don't think I'm Jewish either. And it's like a whole lack of education and stereotyping that goes on. And I was like, I literally don't want to be talking about anti-Semitism. It's traumatizing to me. It's frustrating. I can't believe that in the year 2020, we're dealing with this stuff, both racism and anti-Semitism. But at the same time, like if a prominent black person speaks out and says hateful things about Jewish people, I can't just like let that go. Yeah, the same way if I said something racist, black people wouldn't let me like, thank you. It's not, it's not okay. It's not okay. Cause you're, you're absolutely right in terms of how large their platforms are and co-signing. Cause not only does that almost ramp people up, but it also doubles down and makes people think it's okay to engage in those behaviors or to maintain that mentality when we all should be working for eliminating that hate it's so crazy to me that people don't understand like you can't just be against racism but then go and tell jews that you hope they die in a gas chamber like that's not how it works oh my god yeah that's so terrible are you kidding like yeah someone sent me a thing last year being like go back to auschwitz and it was a are you kidding photoshop no on twitter i mean i got their account shut down for once twitter came through but like someone photoshopped the policeman from Monopoly, you know, the do not pass go, do not not collect 200 guy. They put a swastika armband on it and they changed the caption to go directly to Auschwitz. And I like have a screenshot saved somewhere because it was just so shocking to me that I almost laughed because I was like, are you serious? Like you took the time to make this. But then I was like, wait, and this was at a time in my life when I wasn't even really talking about being Jewish online for the exact reason that I know anti-Semitism exists. I've dealt with it before in my life. I want everyone to work together. And it, it frustrates mm-hmm. me because I've, I'm now arguing with Black people about anti-Semitism and I feel bad because like I, I don't want to take away from that movement. 
I don't want to say it's a distraction because anti-Semitism is a serious issue and it's Girl, been around for thousands of life. years. Like, but like, this so is my life too. Exactly. Like, and, and that's your life. Like how I feel about racism is probably how you feel about anti-Semitism. So I think that it's not what you call a distraction as much as it's like, uh, you just disrupted my very existence. So uh, right. it's hard for me to settle down. Like that's kind of like, where I am right now. It's also like, I care about you being able to go and live your life free of fear and hatred. And I'm like, why, why do people not feel the same way about me? Like, oh, and, and that's I, the thing is like, you can't, <laughs> you know, and, and not, and I can't, I know our degrees of bullshit are different, but right. you can't let that get you in any form or fashion. Uh, and I know it's different for everybody, but you just can't, man. And you just can't because it's ignorance. And the thing is, is, and I do believe that we are probably in the same boat in terms of, yeah, but that ignorance can get violent. And it often does. Like people will, they will kill you. They'll hurt you. They'll do things to physically come at you. Oh yeah. I mean, I've been threatened before. Exactly. And you have to be aware of that. But at the same time, you just can't let people's ignorance define you or rile you up. It'll get in your head at times, but you've got to find a way to keep your head straight in part because that's what they want. Because people call me all sorts of names and it honestly doesn't bother me because I just think, wow, you're real stupid, aren't you? And I just keep rolling. But yeah. I, I, I do, you know, it does the things that at least, I don't know about you, the things that hurt me the most are the underlying systemic things. And I think I probably encounter those far more than you do. And it's not because you are quote unquote passing, but it's because it's like my affliction, so to speak, sits on the surface. So right. people can see it and I can't get away from it. Uh, and I was talking to apparently, and I don't mean to sound weird in any way, but I have, I may have way, way too many Jewish friends. Um, <laughs> but I also, but that's how I feel like I, I was like, oh, you don't. And there aren't that many of us. So it's funny. <laughs> that, that's why I think it's weird because I was like, wait. And I was kind of starting to look at my stuff the other day. And I was like, cause you know, I'm trying to be sensitive to the shit that's, excuse me, things that are going on. So that's no, okay. We swear out. on this podcast. Oh, okay, cool. And so yeah. I want to reach out <laughs> to my friends and make sure if it directly impacts them, just like they kind of did for me during a lot of the BLM movements. And I was yeah, just I like, asked you questions. I'm sending out way too many messages and checking in on people. And I was like, Jesus, like, I it just made me realize that the life I live is probably very different where people may only have one or two Jewish friends, whereas like I have a Rolodex. And, and that has been, and if I could tell a quick story, I didn't tell it online yesterday, but, um, so I grew up in a, not even predominantly white community, a white community. And it was up in the sticks in Northern California where there were, you know, occasional Confederate flags and all that stuff. But essentially, uh, and everybody was pretty well to do. And I would get a lot of implicit racism or comments that because my parents never talked about race or ethnicity or religion or I essentially lived in a bubble in a very shielded place where my parents never, and I mean, never, they didn't talk about white people. They didn't talk about anything at home that had to deal with any of the things that we deal with now. And so I grew up very sheltered essentially. And uh, when I got out in kind of the working world and all these other things in this small community, um, things would happen to me that I didn't know how to handle or that I wouldn't even recognize. And you know who took care of me? the Jewish people, they saw it and they stood up for me. They protected me. They went to bat for me. 
I have a man that's my surrogate uncle, Carrie Greenberg, to this very day. And that's a shout out to him. To this very day, he has a signed copy of my book. We, every holiday, he never forgets me. That man, he protected me and he had my back through and through. And so when I hear black people saying this and that about Jews as they were just doing online the other day, I don't have it. I don't believe in it. You clearly don't know nobody and you are playing on some kind of anti-Semitic trope. And also to this very day, I just have so many allies and people looking out for me and they happen to be Jewish. So you can't tell me that. You can't tell me the things that we unfortunately heard. That's it. You, you can't. And I'm like, I'm so grateful when you say things like that, because the same way, you know, people listen when Nick Cannon speaks out, people listen when you speak out, people listen when people with a platform use their voice to tell the truth. And that's why, aside from the fact that like, I, I mean, I know in my heart that when people say these things, they're coming from a place, ideally at best, they're coming from a place where they, it's just ignorance. And at worst, it's willful ignorance and hatred. But yeah, I grew up in a bubble too. Horrible. I grew up in a predominantly Jewish white neighborhood. And until I was in college, almost everyone at my school was a white Jewish kid. And so I understood that. I understood that I didn't live in like, quote unquote, the real world. But at the same time, I think that one of the reasons that Jewish people are so upset by what's going on is because most of us learned in school about our own history as well as black history. And the point being that like our understanding of what our ancestors went through and to to a certain extent what we go through now, we are sensitive to injustices because our people have lived through them. And that's what it that's what's so shocking to me is that you see people who say, like to an extent, I empathize and I have we have partial it's like a Venn diagram kind of where like the the circles obviously don't fully overlap because I've never been judged on the color of my skin but I've had people say hateful ignorant things to me and my people have been hurt for thousands of years and to an extent there are certain things that are shared experiences and so for that reason you want to help people out and you want to support them and you want to take care of them and you want to work together to make the world a better place. And it just kills me that instead of Jewish people and black people standing up and being like, you know what? Fuck your racism. Fuck your anti-Semitism. We are standing together against you. Now we are fighting each other. And those people are sitting back next to their Confederate flags and their freaking make America great hats and whatever. And they're just sitting back and watching us fight each other. Yes, that's right. You, you know who so wins in that point. situation? They, they do. Win. That's right. And that's, I'm like, okay, cool. So we are not solving the problem. We're just creating another problem instead of being like, you know what? The actual problem is these hateful, ignorant people. And if we took them down together, we're all living a better life exactly. together. The world's a better place. Yep. And um, that's kind of what I had tweeted out um, using, uh, gosh, that old phrasing this morning in terms of when... Um, when they came for so-and-so, yeah. I didn't say anything because I wasn't of that group. And so part of me is like the entire theme of that, that poem, that verse, is that you need to stand up and unify, even if it's not specifically you, because they will come for you at a point in time. And you have to stop it right then and there before it comes to you. 
And it just so many people, unfortunately, are so protective of themselves, what they have, my group, my people, as opposed to, hey, yo, we can all rise together and we can all fight against the system together to make it a better, better place in a better way. And Adrian, I think you made a great point to that when you were discussing how a lot of your friends are Jewish. I think that's what it comes down to, even with white people that grow up without a lot of black people or people of color, Hispanics in their community. It's just like when you diversify spaces, people get an idea of other people's experiences. You know what I mean? Like I grew up, I had a lot of black friends in school, but they were kids with school choice out of Springfield, Massachusetts, coming into my town to get a better education. So like, I didn't really see what they were going home to until I started covering high school sports in the area. And like, I'm exposed to these issues that are happening literally two miles over the bridge from my hometown. But it's just, that's why diversity is so important in sports media, in everywhere, every industry, because just if we could just sit next to someone totally different with a totally different mentality, upbringing, culture, tradition from us, you understand it better. Like that's, it's the bottom line. And it, it, that's what this whole thing, everything should, if we're learning anything from all of this, like civil unrest, it should be that. And, and there's so much like, um, cause it's not just like that all my friends are Jewish. It's like, all of my friends are all very, very diverse. And I don't have like one tokenized friend from that group that I go to. Cause unfortunately uh, in a number of my friendship pools, I'm the only, their only black friend. And that's not necessarily a good sign. I've come to learn over time because I become their limited exposure to black culture, blackness, black anything. And they need to realize that we're not monolithic. And so- yeah just reaching out to other people, talking to people, asking about their experiences in, in a very respectful and non-oppressive way, reading about their experiences, paying attention. It's so important. Volunteering your time, you know, because you can connect with someone so much more in life when you have an idea of what does their reality look like? I want to see the world through your eyes. Walk me through this. But I think in yeah. order to do that, you have to have considerable empathy and you also have to have um, low ego. Because so many people prefer to think that our hurdles and our issues are all the same, so such that if you are failing in some way, that's a result of your ineptitude or your deficiency, as opposed to the structures that are in society that may be in your way that I can't see because they're not in my way. People are so scared to be wrong nowadays, and they're not able to handle being told that they're wrong and it's a problem because instead of opening your mind and listening to somebody who might be more knowledgeable than you or somebody where it's like, it's their actual life experience. And you're speaking from a place where you haven't experienced that. Like I wouldn't tell you what it's like to be a black woman. You wouldn't tell me what it's like to be a Jewish woman. So it's like, I, I would rather ask you, I'd be like, Adrian, what is it like to experience this? You'd be like, what is it like to experience this? And that's how the world becomes a better place when you open your minds. But the problem is that despite the fact that we have more information available at our fingertips than we ever had in the history of time people's yeah. minds seem to be more closed than ever. And I, 
I, it, it's so frustrating to me because I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting here telling you my experience and you're telling me that it didn't even happen to me. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, you can't give these people <laughs> in your mind because some of them no, are just, you can't, they don't either. They don't care about the truth or they're trying to get a rise out of you. And so you just, you really can't. And it's just so, it's absolutely disgusting the things they'll say. And you just got to move on because otherwise you get bogged down on it and you're not going to be able to focus on your purpose. Like, exactly. If you can't let it get in your way, these people are some of them nonsense. The interesting thing about the quote that you paraphrased this morning is that the guy who wrote that original one, apparently, I didn't even really know this, but apparently he was actually anti-Semitic. And so, (laughs) no, 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 no. It's okay because it it kind of proves his own point in a way of like, He didn't care about Jewish people until the, the same people came for him. And that kind of proves the point in the same way. But one of the reasons, like you and I both shared Kareem's latest op-ed for the Hollywood Reporter about all of this. And something that I loved so much that he said in that, um, to paraphrase it, he, he said, no one is free until everyone is free. If we're going to be outraged by injustice, let's be outraged by injustice against anyone. That's right. And, like, that's exactly what it is. It's like, like ice cube we didn't even talk about ice cube saying i i didn't see that stuff coming and i was like really man we're doing this and then when kareem called him out he he said how much did how they paid you 30 uh pieces of silver like making a biblical reference makes it even worse and i'm like oh Oh, my god disgusting wait uh, are you kidding no, no, no. If you go, I don't know. It might not still be up. But last night when I was prepping for our call, um, I st- like he was trending. He said, shame on the Hollywood reporter who obviously gave my brother Kareem 30 pieces of silver to cut us down without even a phone call. And that's a reference to um, to Jesus and Judas. I, I, I definitely understand that reference. I'm just in a place where because uh, it's my understanding he's what the CEO or whatever of the big three. Or no, Amy Trask is the CEO of the big three. Like, how are you out here talking like this? This is it, gross. It was just so appalling to me because it's like, dude, if Whoa. someone like, like a ima- I can't imagine. I mean, we see it all the time, but it's so, it's still so, so shocking to me. Like imagine someone calling you out for being anti-Semitic. And so you double down on it by being more anti-Semitic. Like, and also Ooh, referencing and like, like Kareem, and also referencing is just like the classiest dude. A living you. angel. Like, Captain Roger Murdoch, the best co-pilot in the history of cinema airplanes. Oh <sighs> my goodness. That is just filth. I just and and I and I wonder if there are gonna be consequences. I wonder yeah, if yeah. there will be consequences. Because the thing is we can't allow this. And I and um so you know, me being a lawyer and also being um, princess, I see things differently than other people. Um, I, I definitely think what Nick Cannon, and I did not listen to his podcast, um, but from the things I read, yeah. You don't want to. Pushing anti-Semitic tropes and all of these um, terrible things. But part of me is like, you know, the thought that you'd maybe get a pass on this stuff, it also doesn't work in the COVID era because these companies are looking to cut big deals and contracts they made when things yeah. were flourishing. So don't yeah. act shocked and shaken when your feet are held to the fire and you actually suffer consequences for things you may not have suffered consequences for back in 2019. Like that's just stupid on you. So I just, I like it because, you know, Hey, people are suffering consequences, but I really hope they start doing it across the board. 
Well, the other thing with the Nick Cannon thing, like the last thing I'll say on this, because I feel like I, there's other things I'd rather talk to you about. I mean, not rather talk to you about because this is super important, but like there's other things that we can talk about. Um, but the, the the thing that concerned me so much about the Nick Cannon thing, I'm not super familiar with like what he's been doing over the last couple of years. But from what I've read, his whole thing is like he has people on to have like educational conversations. He promotes himself as being someone who's a learner and, uh, you know, someone who values education. And so people look to him as like a learning resource. Like it's not like he's Deshaun Jackson making a dumb Instagram story because I really truly think Deshaun Jackson had no idea what he was doing. And I don't think that about Nick Cannon because Nick Cannon's whole thing shtick to use a Yiddish word is that he's an educator and someone who values learning. Like people listen to him and watch him as an educational resource. And that's what's so terrifying. It's not just that he's a celebrity with a platform. It's the way that his platform has been marketed as like an educational thing. That's what's scary to me is you have people who are considered authorities on something because they're promoting themselves as educators talking in this way that makes people think like, well, he's an authority. He's an educator. So I should listen to him. And you see that in the responses that he's gotten first from his original things. And now from the apologies that he's issued where people are like, oh, the Jews shut you down. They got to you quick. And I'm like, oh my God, how like, and that's what's so terrifying to me. I, I just, I still, I am so flabbergasted, like that people, oh, I, cause I get it. Some, I'm just, again, I'm, I'm absolutely flabbergasted. <laughs> and and, I, and yeah. I, I feel like I failed in some way. I think I expected it from certain people, but I didn't expect it like this. I feel the same way, like, when I have conversation with friends. I mean, I had, I, in 2015, I was dating a guy. I found out he was voting for Trump. And I was like, mm, we're not dating anymore. And also, yeah. you have a mother and a sister and a girlfriend, and you're going to look me in the eye and tell me that, you're going to vote for a, a guy who has publicly bragged to assaulting women. This was right around the time when like the grabber by the pussy stuff came out. And I was like, you, how can you date a woman and tell her you're going to vote for this man? And he's, you know what? He's the same person who told me that Colin Kaepernick wasn't a patriot. And so for like oh, a couple yeah. months, I, like people, people came for me because I was publicly supporting Colin Kaepernick this year. And people were like, yeah, but in 2015, you said that you thought Colin Kaepernick was anti-American. I'm like, yeah. And you know why? Because I took wrong, I took bad advice from the wrong person. And then when I found out that I was wrong, I was so freaking ashamed and I became a huge supporter of his. But like, you need to normalize unlearning in, in like incorrect information and then like publicly owning that. Like I owned it. I was like, guys, this is what happened because people yep. were coming for me. And I was like, dude. No, I, it's possible that in the last five years, I learned new information. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Well, I realize I don't roll with people who think that they know everything because no, that means never. you're not amenable to realizing that you're wrong. Cause it's a, I actually like being wrong and I like apologizing. I like acknowledging my errors because Same. it shows that I'm growing. Like, let's do this. I should never, you know, the things that I know are things like I deserve respect. I should not be sexually assed in a workplace. Yeah, you cannot convince me otherwise. But at the same time, when it comes to the outside world around me, no, I should be growing every day as it's evolving. It doesn't exactly. seem like it's rocket science. So I don't understand people who 
make these, at least qualify your ignorant comments because recognizing you don't know, just say, I think, or it's possible. Like just, I, oh man, uh-oh, Dan Snyder's trending. Oh no. <laughs> oh, well, perfect timing. Let's see what's up. No, I love this. This poor guy, Dan Snyder from Fox in um, Oklahoma City, he goes, figured I'd get this out of the way now. Not the Washington football team owner, just a news guy in OKC. Uh, shout out to the rest of us Dan Snyders out there, parentheses, except the football owner. We're in for a long day. Oh, poor guy. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. I, so this is going to be really interesting when this I, stuff drops. But why is he trending? Like, I hate when this happens on Twitter, just side note, as we've all kind of quickly went to look at like what's trending. I hate when this stuff happens the same way, like a celebrity will start trending. And I'm like, either they're dead or they're canceled. And then it just turns out that it's like Zac Efron drew a beard. And so all these girls are freaking out. (laughs) So I don't want to get too far away from like the sports that we just got into with the whole Dan Snyder talk and Kaepernick. But Adrian, having worked in sports media and seeing the reception to Kaepernick's initial protest back in 2016, compared to how the country is now seeing everything, the movement he's really created, does that give you kind of optimism? And with all of this back being brought into light now since the murder of George Floyd, um, Are you pessimistic that we're just going to get back into that wheel and that we're only paying this so much attention because of COVID and quarantines? Or are you hopeful that like real change is going to be affected going to this point? I really don't know yet. Um, I really don't. I don't think you can put uh, what the toothpaste back in the tube, which I actually hate that reference. But uh, because, you know, we're in a place now where black people are speaking out. And these things where we would just commiserate amongst one another are now being said to your face. And I can't go back. Uh, I just had to stand up um, for an issue of lack of diversity just the other day in an organization that I'm a part of and that I've now left because there's no excuse for the lack of diversity and the conscious awareness to making sure things are changed. And so I, I think that there are a lot of people who just aren't here for it anymore. And and also it's too liberating for me to go back. And I think for a lot of us to go back to just tolerating the essentially just the shade that would be very subtle and the power structures that have been broken and allow themselves to continue to break. Unfortunately, I think the more powerful the power structure is, like these huge conglomerates and these companies that own so much, it's harder to really affect institutional change in those. But I think a lot of these maybe smaller organizations or entities that they are making a way. Uh, So hopefully there will be change. Uh, Hopefully, we'll see. Uh, I know the podcast is running long and I hate to jump into people's ears for too long. No, it's. I mean, first of all, it's important stuff that we're talking about. And also we're just so thrilled that you were able to take the time to talk about this stuff with us because, you know, this is a sports podcast, but it's a sports podcast that we want to talk about like important issues. I mean, if we were just sitting here being like, so um, let's talk about who we think is snitching on the NBA phone, you know, hotline for COVID, like read, like people need to read the room. You know, I can't, we can't just be out here talking about sports and not talk about important issues, especially when they are 
stemming from sports. Like sports is just a microcosm of what the world is going through right now. Absolutely. Before we let you go, just tell everybody where they can find you on social media and where they can buy your book. Cause we didn't right. really get to talk about your book. Oh, no worries. Um, so my book is staying in the game, the playbook for beating workplace sexual harassment. It is a first of its kind book in that no one's written a largely a sexual harassment like manual it tells you how to beat the system um as a lawyer journalist and just someone who has dove into sociology i really break it down in super easy to explain ways and give you tactics and strategies and it's kind of fun and funny but yeah it's out there uh, staying in the game is available anywhere books are sold so you find it on amazon everywhere. It also has an audio book and you can find my face on Instagram at Adrian Lawrence. And then you want to hear my words and my nonsense. Well, that is on Twitter at Adrian Law. Perfect. Adrian, thank you so much for being our guest. And guys, as always, you can follow Girl at the Game on Instagram and Twitter at Girl at the Game. New podcast episodes drop every single week and new articles drop on girlatthegame.com every single week. And our merch is back up and running finally. So you can shop that on girlatthegame.com too. I don't think I forgot anything, Al, did I? I don't think <laughs> so, but. Oh, wait, you know what, Adrian? do you want to pick our song? Every episode we, we end with like an early 2000s. Like I think last week it was Let Me Love You by Mario. Just like oh, any wow. song you love, right? Such a good song. Such a good song. <laughs> Just like pick a song, any song that we uh, send our listeners out with. Oh, Lord. Okay. I know. Sorry. The pressure just is on now. (laughs) Oh, are you kidding? Like, I really feel like I've just, hey, well, here we are. I will go with Party Like a Rockstar, Shop Boys. Let's do it. (laughs) I love it. Okay. That's great. Have a great weekend, guys. Adrian, thank you again. Everyone stay safe, wear a mask, and we will talk to you next week. Yeah.